Hi, and welcome to this latest podcast from 1914 to 1918war.com. We're back after an extended Christmas break. Over the next two episodes, we'll be taking a look at the Battle of Mons, uh, beginning with the background to the battle first uh, in this episode, and then the battle itself in the second episode. Uh, if you enjoy these episodes, please like, review, follow, all those good things. Uh, it really helps the podcast. Right, let's get on with the show. Everything you hold for a file is at stake. Nur durch starke Berührung mit der See können wir den für uns nötigen weltumfangenen geistigen Horizont gewinnen. The Battle of Mons, the first British encounter with the German enemy, achieved mythic status in the British view of the First World War. Not only was this first contact portrayed as a success, as so many British retreats were to be, but the battle birthed the legend of the Angel of Mons, where an angelic host appeared and struck down the advancing Germans, proof indeed that the British were on God's side, or perhaps God was on the British side. The true story of the Battle of Mons is of a small, short battle that was peppered with individual heroism. It was the first opportunity for the professionalism of the British soldiers to be tested in the extraordinary and confusing circumstances that played out as the weight of the German right wing fell down upon the relatively small British expeditionary force. But before we get into the battle, let's take a look at the overall situation facing the uh, combatants. War had broken out at the beginning of August 1914, with both the German and French having spent years planning how to fight each other when the inevitable war broke out. We can focus on the German and French plans for now, as the British plans were of little relevance given the size of their army in European scale terms. Essentially, the British plan was to act as an adjunct to the French, forming the extreme left flank of the French armies arrayed along their borders. This deployment made sense to the French as it anticipated that the fighting would probably take place to the east, and made sense to the British as it placed their army closer to their supply route over the English Channel. The German plan, conceived by Alfred von Schlieffen, and modified over the years by his protégé Helmut von Molke, anticipated a huge encircling move that pivoted the German armies around a stationary left flank, as viewed from the German perspective, with their right flank swinging to the west through Belgium to encircle the French and British armies as they were expected to be arrayed along the borders. Avoiding direct battle with the mass of the French armies, the German plan was all about speed. The Belgian army had to be swept aside by the main German thrust, and this would then allow their right wing to complete the encirclement. The German plan depended on all of this happening so quickly that this would happen before the French knew what was happening and were able to redeploy to the west. The German plan was complicated, dependent on strict timetables, and allowed little contingency for delays. The French had also anticipated a new war against their old German enemy. In contrast with the complexity of the German plan, the French plan was marked by its simplicity. Instead of fancy manoeuvring and encirclements, the French planned to concentrate her armies on the German border and launch a direct heavy assault into Germany, aiming to smash Germany's ability to wage war. Like the German plan, the French plan had been revised regularly, 
notably to include intelligence that it was likely that the Germans planned to breach Belgian neutrality. The two plans were to form the core of the opening phase of the war, as the German and French plans unfolded into a sequence of battles known as the Battle of the Frontiers. While the Germans concentrated primarily on overrunning the Belgian army, the French launched offensives along the German border. The French launched the Battle of Mulhaus in Alsace on the 7th of August, the Battle of Lorraine on the 14th, and the Battle of the Ardennes on the 21st, clashing along the Franco-Belgian and Franco-German borders. The German intent was to defeat their enemy's attacks and send their reinforced right wing down beyond Paris, encircling or forcing them back. The Battle of Mons marked the final encounter of the Battle of Frontiers. To make things easier for future historians, the German armies were deployed in numerical order from west to east, with von Kluck commanding the German First Army on the extreme west of the German advance. Then to the east of von Kluck came the Second Army under von Bülow, and the Third Army under Hausen. The French armies were also deployed in numerical order, ranging from the First Army under Dubai, deployed on the eastern flank in Alsace, through to the Fifth Army under Lanzarac, to the west of the Ardennes Forest. Only the British Expeditionary BAF neglected the numbering conventions, probably because there was only the one of them. The BEF was placed on the extreme left flank of the French line. Broadly speaking, the Battle of Frontiers rippled along the front as the armies came together. By the 20th of August, Lanzarac's 5th Army was pushing into the area marked by the Meuse and Sambre rivers to the west of Charleroi. Ordered to attack in the area, the French began to encounter German cavalry and found their plans to advance over the River Sambre were disrupted by a German advance from Namur that took the bridges, despite French attempts to counterattack. This encounter became known as the Battle of Charleroi. As the Germans pushed the French 5th Army back on the 21st and 22nd, Lanzarac sent a message to Sir John French, commanding the BEF, which was advancing to the town of Mons, requesting that he advance from west to east and attack the German 2nd Army in its flank as it pushed to the south. Sir John French, aware that by now he was facing a German force of his own and unwilling to expose his flank by turning away from them, refused Lanzarac's request and instead said he would defend the Condé Mons Charleroi Canal to prevent the German 1st Army from encircling the end of the Allies' line. The BEF was divided into two corps, each comprising two divisions of 18,000 men. 2nd Corps, commanded by Horace Smith Dorian, dug in along about 15 miles of the Mons Condé Canal, facing the German advance. Meanwhile, 1st Corps, commanded by Douglas Haig, was placed on the BEF's right flank to guard against the possibility that Lanzarac's force might be pushed back from Charleroi and to help maintain contact, contact with the French. The British cavalry, under General Allenby, was kept in reserve. On the 21st of August, a British patrol clashed with a German unit near Aubourg, and uh, Private John Parr had the misfortune of becoming the first British soldier killed in the First World War. Then at 6.30am on the 22nd, the 4th Royal Irish Dragoons attempted to ambush a German patrol near the village of Castor, but the Germans spotted the Dragoons and declined to walk into the trap and fell back. Their plan thwarted. A troop of Dragoons, led by a Captain Hornby, gave chase, 
and were led into a much larger German force of lancers. Undaunted, Hornby and co. charged into the lancers with swords drawn, and Hornby became the first British soldier to kill an enemy combatant. Falling back, the Germans regrouped and opened fire on their pursuers, who were forced to dismount and return fire. This exchange marked the first shots fired by the British army during the war. Sir John French planned to advance his force to Sogny in the direction of Brussels, as he was unconvinced by reports about the scale of the German forces bearing down on him. Sir John was talking a good game, but was concerned about the uneven nature of the front that was being presented to the Germans by the Allies. On top of this, he was distrustful of the French, and deeply aware of the responsibility he had to his country's small army. On the 20th of August, Karl von Bulow, commanding the German Second Army, planned to push south between Namur and Charleroi to engage the French forces there. On Bulow's right flank, von Kluck wanted his First Army to swing further west, expecting to counter the British further towards the French coast, perhaps around Lille. Von Bulow, wary of exposing his flank, and concerned about potential Belgian operations emanating from the direction of Antwerp in his rear, ordered von Kluck's first army to turn south earlier than Kluck had planned in order to support and protect his second army, both against a flank attack and from the perceived Belgian threat. This brought von Kluck's four active corps and three reserve corps directly on a collision course with the much smaller British Expeditionary Corps force or more specifically, with Smith Dorian's 2nd Corps, about half of the BEF's overall force. Over the course of the 20th and 22nd of August, the Germans began to see signs of British activity. On the Allied side of the fence, on the BEF's right flank, General Lanzarac's 5th Army had begun to push into Belgium, seeking to engage the Germans. Moving his 15 divisions up into the triangular stretch of land between the Sombre and Meuse rivers, Lanzarac's army moved ahead of the line of the French armies, beyond the flank of the French 4th army, and into the face of the German 2nd and 3rd armies, comprising of 18 divisions. Lanzarac requested that the BEF protect his left flank as he advanced, hoping that the BEF would prevent German attempts to encircle his army. Sir John French and Lanzarac were uneasy allies, Language difficulties and French's determination to maintain an independent command ensured that the British and French were to fight battles that, whilst geographically co-located, were in fact independent of each other. On the 20th, French cavalry began to encounter and skirmish with German forces, and on the 21st, Joffre ordered Anzorak to advance against the Germans to the west of the Meuse, pushing towards where the Sambre meets the Meuse at Namur. However, as the French advanced, so did the Germans, capturing bridges between Namur and Charleroi. The French tried to recapture the bridges on the 22nd, but were unsuccessful. On the 21st and 22nd of August, Sir General Horace Smith Dorian's 2nd Corps, which was to do the fighting during the Battle of Mons, reached the area around Mons, and the 3rd and 5th Divisions established themselves along the 60-foot-wide Mons-Condé Canal, which passed through Mons and other villages nearby. Manning this defendable line was the extent to which Sir John French was willing to support Lanzarac's offensive. With limited time to dig in, the British were lucky that the Germans were unaware of their presence. They believed that the BEF was much further to the west. On the evening of the 22nd, Sir John French summoned his corps commanders 
to his headquarters to discuss the position. He explained that his hoped-for offensive was no longer possible because he believed that the French 5th Army was now retreating and he couldn't expose his flank by advancing. This was untrue, as Lanzarac's army was not in retreat at the time. Entertainingly, Lanzarac also blamed his lack of advance on his ally, explaining that because he wasn't in contact with the BEF, he too could not advance in case he exposed his flanks. Instead, he ordered his men to defend the line of the River Sambre. Smith Dorian, thanks to his conference with John French on the 22nd, was now aware that it was possible that instead of an heroic advance into Belgium to send the Germans packing, a retreat into France might be required. Some eight British battalions were deployed along the canal, and prudently he ordered that the bridges over the Mons Condé Canal be prepared for demolition, ordering that they should be blown up if a retreat was needed, but only if needed, as demolishing them would hinder their own advance into Belgium. This command represented the uncertainty the British commanders were dealing with. They wanted to have both their cake and to eat it. The 4th Battalion of the Royal Fusiliers were part of 9th Brigade, 3rd Division of the BEF, and reached the village of Nimi on the 22nd of August. The battalion's Y Company were allocated to the task of guarding the railway bridge at Nimi. The British, unaware that the bulk of the German 1st Army was nearby, and confident that their sojourn at Mons would be temporary, decided that the bridges over the canal shouldn't be demolished, so that they could continue their advance into Belgium in the coming days. Here the British assessment of German strength was tragically wrong. With just 70,000 men and 300 field guns, they were now, unbeknownst to them, facing around 160,000 Germans and 600 guns. If they'd known this, it's likely they would have blown the bridges and asked questions later. That brings us to the end of our first uh, of the two episodes. I'll be looking at the Battle of Mons. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it and uh, look forward to seeing you next episode. Thanks a lot. Bye.